start with why. So that's what we do. We start with why. This is such an interesting exercise to do. Most of the time, they don't have the answer. Or they have some sort of an answer, but that answer, as they have, they have diverted from their initial why. And their business has become something else. Yeah. That's a great point. Awesome. To help them revisit the original reason, because because maybe they've forgotten, maybe they've got distracted, maybe, mm. yeah. You see that in love mm. stories too, where the, the couple's kind of over each other and and then someone comes along and helps them remember why, why they got together. <laughs> That's uh, what you're doing. Yes, except I'm not a life coach. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the ROI Online Podcast, where we believe you, the courageous entrepreneurs of our day, are the invisible heroes of our economy. You not only improve our world with your ideas, your grit, and your passion, but you make our world better. I'm Steve Brown, and this is the place where we have great conversations with winners just like you while we laugh and learn together. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the ROI Online Podcast. And today... We're interviewing someone that you need to meet. His name is Lauren Notan. Lauren is in Helsinki, Finland. He works with business leaders and he helps them build outstanding businesses. Lauren, welcome to the ROI Online Podcast. Hey, hi, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So Lauren, Lauren uh, interviewed me on his podcast a while back. And I um, enjoyed the conversation so much. I thought, I thought we need to do a little reciprocity. And so here's Lauren, and I wanted him to spend a little time with my uh, the folks that listen. The folks that listen, Lauren, they're business leaders as well. And the cool thing about this podcast is that you know we learned that we're all wrestling with similar things, and then we're, we're all going through business the best way we can trying to make decisions and yet when we learn that others are working on similar problems we figure out we're just not crazy we're we're normal and so that's the cool thing and and that's what you do with your clients yes correct by the way well done on the family name pronunciation (laughs) well when when the texan sees n-o-t-i-n that, yes. They say no tin, right? Yes, so, of course. <laughs> and then they're not French, right? <laughs> and then here's the thing on on Lauren's last name: he has a T. And what, what do we need a T if we're not going to say it, right? Yeah, you know this is French. It's don't don't ask me. <laughs> That's French. It's full of examples like that. <laughs> so. Um, so, Lauren, you have an interesting backstory. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your kind of start where you, why you ended up in Laos and then mm-hmm. your, your journey there and your, your experience working with companies on uh, marketing and research and that part of the world, which is very interesting to me. I'm curious at what, what the difference is, and we'll get into that later. But, yeah. All right. Let's, let's set up your backstory. Okay, uh, so I landed in Laos on the 3rd of October, 1999. Mm-hmm. I still remember when the, the, the plane door opened and suddenly I was like, wow, this is so hot. There are mosquitoes flying around me everywhere. <laughs> there was no road, there was nothing, but it was amazing. Uh, and I moved to Laos because I, I followed my ex-partner who's the, um, the mother of my kids. Mm-hmm. And initially we moved there for nine months only. I didn't have any job. I just finished school. So I was like, okay, let's go there. And, you know, we stayed seven years and I moved to back to Europe like last year. So in a total 20 years in uh, Southeast Asia. Wow. I recently, I didn't know this, but Laos has this, this giant um, forest or wilderness that's almost um, hardly touched, and they have all these amazing animals and and wildlife. I 
I know very little about Laos, even though I yeah. have a couple of folks that work for me that their families originated there. Yes, it's a fantastic country, fantastic country. So it's a landlocked country. It's in between, uh, you know, Thailand, Myanmar, Vietnam, no access to the sea. It's called uh, the, the land of the 1,000 elephants. There used to be like a lot of elephants, uh, land sang, uh, in, in, in Laotian, the elephant. Uh, but of course, with a time, you know, and people, the, the number of elephants have decreased. But still, this is one of the countries, in, one of the countries in the world where you can still find elephants living in the whiteness. And it's, it's. I mean, when I was when I went there, like I like I told you, there was no roads, there was nothing. I started working for this small market research agency, and we had just such a great time. It was amazing because it was completely different from what we knew in, in, in Europe. But, you know, we were young. We were like 23 at that time. We had a great life. We didn't need a lot of money. Uh, my partner, she enjoyed a job. I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, my job too. We met at the same time. With, we became friends with uh, people who arrived at the same time. So young people like us, mm-hmm. uh, we had a blast. It, it's, I recommend anyone to go to Laos and visit this country, it's really worth seeing it. So when you went there, you started living, what did you learn about yourself that you didn't know? (laughs) Back between so many things, I don't know where to start. First, I think what I learned was that I was able to live in another country, Uh, you know, and it was okay to to go a little bit wild, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I re- yeah, like, you know, I remember, like, the first thing we did when we knew we were moving to Laos, uh, we went to see the Pasteur Institute in France because we, look at, we looked about, you know, things about the mosquitoes and malaria, and we bought, like, I think we bought something like a thousand euros of medicine, and for for malaria, and we we read all these books about don't go on your own evening uh, close to the Mekong River because there are a lot of mosquitoes. Don't drink, don't drink, don't put ice into your into your um, into your drinks, etc., etc. Well, the first thing we did on the first evening <laughs> is we went to the river because people welcomed us. They brought us there, and we had I remember we had a lemon juice with ice next to the river around 5 p.m. was full of mosquitoes and we were fine. <laughs> and then another thing I would say is I learned patience because I spent 20 years in underdeveloping countries and things, time has a different meaning over there. You know, things don't go the way you're expecting them to go here in, in, in Europe. In uh, Laos, they have an expression called Bopenya. So Bopenya means it's okay, don't worry. But it's really, uh, it's really the attitude of the people. You know, they take their time. They are not in a rush and they don't understand why you are in a rush, you the white people. And, you know, it's pretty much like, why should I do something today when I can do it tomorrow? Well, here in Europe, it's more like the opposite. <laughs> should have done it yesterday. Right? Yeah, exa- exa- exactly. So that gives you a lot of this ability to take a step back and look at things uh, completely differently, you know, and realize that what you have in, uh, in Europe or in the U.S., it's not that bad, actually. So in my mind, I'm wondering, what kind of market research did you... You go to Laos, they don't have roads, yeah. at least at, in the area that you were. Why, why do they need marketing? What kind of research, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, well, when we arrived in a, in, a, in a capital city, they were building the roads like with asphalt. And in six months' time, there were roads, roads everywhere. But still, it's a, it's a small country. But the thing is, uh, people do consume. And 
big brands like Unilever, Unilever is huge in, in Southeast Asia, well, they need to understand the, their, their, the market needs. They need, to, they need to, you know, sometimes they, they launch products, they need to test their products. They need, they need to understand how people feel, what people do, et cetera. So then you need market, market research. And there was one research agency, and I ended up working, working for them. It was a small, small team, like 10, 12 people. And it was very interesting because it was all pen and paper, you know, questionnaire. So we had this team of interviewers, and we would send them. We send them out in a field and it will fill in with a pen on a, on a hot copy questionnaire, get the questionnaires back and we will, do, we will do all the data entry or will we actually send data entry to Cambodia for another research agency for which we did a lot of um, sub-projects. Mm-hmm. And, and you have, you know, there's a lot of issues because... 80% of the population live in rural areas, but they still are, you know, they are customers for these brands. Mm-hmm. So you need to reach out to them. So you have, there's a lot of issues in terms of logistics. You know, you have sometimes you have the, the interviewers, they need to travel hours before they can reach a village. Uh, and then they will say in the village, they will do like maybe five interviews and then they will come back. They will go to this to this other village, and so that. But that that's what makes it also very interesting. That's fascinating to me. Mm. So you lived in Cambodia. You lived in Vietnam. Yes. Bit. And so I'm. You talk about being an expert on Southeast Asia. Mm. Talk about the differences in the marketing mindset in those countries. What did you learn? What what was contrasting, but what was the same? Hmm. So I already mentioned about time. Uh, that, has, that has a big you know, difference between Europe or the US and, and Southeast Asia. Uh, there's also Southeast Asia, the people there, they are very family-oriented. For example, so the the young people would take care of the the old generation, and they would all live together. That is changing. That has that has changed while while I was there. And you start, especially in Vietnam or even in Thailand, you start seeing the big city. You start seeing like young couples living living by their own. Uh, but most still, most of the population they all live they all live together. So that is one implication that does, that has implication on for for marketers. Another one is it's very male oriented countries. You know, the women very difficult for them to have a voice, uh, very difficult for them to have a career. So they really need to fight uh, even more even more than here. Another another thing is that status is really important. Like the status in the society, because all these societies are based on a, on a, on a pyramid of hierarchy. So it's the same in uh, personal life and it's the same in professional life. The person at the top, who is usually the elder person, has respect by default from the other members of the family of the company, and that person makes, makes, makes all the decisions. So the higher you are in the pyramid, you know, the higher the social status is. But also social status, you will demonstrate it. It's very important to show off. And it, it varies you know, across Cambodia, Vietnam, and Laos to different degrees, but it's very, Cars, for example, are the big symbol of social status. In Cambodia, there are hundreds of uh, SUVs everywhere. It's amazing. But that is because it's a social status symbol. Jewelries, you know, all these these external signs of wealth are very important. I've visited houses where there is nothing. They don't even have beds. But in the garage they have the latest SUV. 
So, you know, they don't really care about what's inside. They really care about what's outside. And you can see it, how they clean their cars. They spend their time in Cambodia, especially, they spend their time cleaning the cars. And I've always, I've often made the, 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 the reflection, like I'm pretty sure, you know, these men spend more time cleaning their car than they spend with their wives. <laughs> you know, there's also a lot of arranged weddings still. Uh, and I wanted to say something else. I forgot. Sorry, uh, but, yeah, but maybe but we'll come, yeah, maybe the, come back. The status symbols and how important mm. it is to convey where you are in that hierarchy. Mm. Arranged mm. marriages. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, sorry, I forgot. It will. It will come back. It will come back It'll to come me. Back, yeah. <laughs> so when you you're considering them. I'm curious how the uh, companies arrange their marketing to yes. to uh, convey respect or to convey how their product might complement whatever the status mm. in their hierarchy was. So that that is the thing is that a lot of companies when they were doing advertising, they were focusing on this social status symbol. Beer. Let's take beer, for example. So stout beer is seen as a symbol of power, very mainly. It's expensive. So in the advertisement, beer companies will play with that. But that's the only thing they would do. But then they would do the same with banking. They will do the same, they will do the same with Every type, every type of products, and at the end of the day, you see all the same advertisings everywhere, and they're all addressing the same population, the elite, those with the money, and they forget about everybody else. Mm-hmm. But some companies they have understood that you need to go beyond that, and I'm going to take the example of Unilever again because they were really, really good at marketing. Unilever developed products for the rural market. Let's take shampoo, for example. The people living in rural areas, they cannot afford this big bottle of shampoo that you can find in a, in a, big, in a big cities. So what they did is that they developed small sachet, one-time usage, in that they would easily uh, deliver in the, in the villages, to small, small uh, mom and pop shops, and it's easy for them to resupply, to resupply, and everybody can have access to that because it's cheap. So, people living in rural areas can wash their hands with the same type of shampoo than the people living in urban areas, mm-hmm. and you can see that with beer, it's the same. Some beer in developing in developing countries is in particular it's you can see them everywhere like in Laos there is beer Lao this is the big 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 brand of Laos beer Lao you could see beer Lao in absolutely every location in Laos there was no road there was no electricity but there was beer Lao because first, and that is the, the other thing I wanted to, to mention, there's this, this big sense of uh, pride for local products. Although there is um, a mistrust about the local products because the people, local people don't think that the local products are as good as the international products, especially, for example, uh, Japanese products, like on the, for the cars, for the motorbikes, they have a very high, they're very well perceived. But some of the local products, when they're doing, when they have uh, this trust from the local from the local population, they're doing super super well, like the beer, beer Laos, in in uh, in Laos, and so the beer company like Unilever, what also they did is that they developed this network of wholesaler and sub-wholesaler and so that they can reach absolutely everywhere in the countries in the remote in the remote areas 
Fascinating. Mm. So what is? So now you're back in Helsinki, mm-hmm. and you know wherever we go, we change, we transform, we learn things, and when we come back, we bring, we bring yes. some lessons back to yes. where we are and and apply them, and that that makes what you have to offer special, mm-hmm. unique. What are some of the things that incites it? In the story, it's called the hero comes back with the gold after they go through their journey and they learn this thing and it's called the gold. And that's when they return back to their, mm. where the whole journey started. Mm. What's some of the gold that you brought back. Hmm. I think one is what I mentioned uh, before is the capacity to take a step back and not be overwhelmed as fast as other people can be. I've seen so many issues. I face so many challenges. Like every day you would go to work and you would not know what will happen. And there is always something, always something going on. And, you know, be it, I don't know, an electricity cut, no, no internet. Uh, someone has an accident. It's all the time, all the time, all the time that it gives you that ability to relax in front of adversity because otherwise you can't get through it, you know? The way also people are less educated than we here in in Europe or in the US. So you have to deal with those people on a daily basis and sometimes it can be very difficult because you would tend to micromanage or do the things for them because at the end of the day you will end up like oh you know what I'm going to do it myself because it's going to be faster it's going to be better but that is not the right way to go this is true everywhere but it's even more true over there because of that lack of education, it's very tempting to think they are incompetent. But they're not incompetent. It's always the same, like everywhere in every business. Is you need to hire the right people. Once you have the right people, well, you need to train them. So they leave when, when they leave your company, they leave with better, better skills than when they arrived. It's exactly the same over there, except that the business environment and the constraints are different. So you need to adapt. That is something also I learned. That is something also I'm able to teach or mentor my my clients with. I think also I was able, I was lucky because I always worked for entrepreneurs. Like I mean, real entrepreneurs. Like the kind of entrepreneurs where they give you the key of the company, they say, go, <laughs> you know, because I'm busy doing something else. I got other projects. Uh, by the way, I don't roll up, I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> so, you know, just go and manage the business for me because I trust I trust you. They trusted me because they did not really have the choice. Like my first my first job in Laos. After two years of being a project manager, they gave me the keys like that because they were like, well, we, don't, we want to go to Cambodia. We have you to run the business. So, you know, we're going to try you, but hmm, we don't really trust you. And it turned out that I really enjoyed managing, managing a company. So you get to have responsibilities and big responsibilities faster. I think that if you were living in, in or working in, in Europe. And because I was managing companies for those small companies and I was able to make them grow, I learned a lot about running business. I had to learn financial management. I had to learn leadership and I failed a lot. I had, I had to learn um, how to you know, processes, how to, how, to, how, to run, how to run processes in a smooth manner in companies. And all of that I was able to bring back with me here and I can teach or, uh, prov- or provide uh, uh, advice to my clients 
Yeah. That's crazy. It's like, um, it's like training, training in mm -hmm. an environment, maybe in sand or, or you're training in an adverse environment. Now, when you return back to Europe, you would assume that those obstacles or barriers or the resistance to certain things would be less, but it's not necessarily true. There are different adversities, yes. but to take that same mindset. Is that where you, you started to fall in love with CrossFit? Did you get into some kickboxing or anything in that area that's very popular? No, that's an interesting story because it is, it has really shaped who I am, CrossFit. So I started CrossFit six years ago, more or less. And after I came back to, to, from Vietnam, I resigned from the market research company I was working for. And that was like 14 years of market research. I resigned and I did a burnout because there was a lot of challenges uh, when, I was, when I was in Vietnam. It didn't go very, very well. And I did a burnout, like a real burnout. And, you know, I would work for this new company, uh, this advertising agency, where I did have shares, but I would go to work, but I would not be there. Like I could physically see myself moving, but I could not feel it. I'm not sure if you know, if you know what I mean. No, and then... You felt awful. That must have been... Yes. You feel like a failure. You feel like... Um, Hey, I wanted to pause right here and tell you about a book that you need to get today. It's the funniest book on marketing. It's called The Golden Toilet. Stop flushing your marketing budget into your website and build a system that grows your business. And guess who wrote it? That's right. I wrote it. And I wrote it just for you because I want to help you get past the last hurdles of setting up your business and getting it squared away. I wrote it so that you could avoid time, wasting time, wasting money, wasting frustration. Get the book on Audible. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on Amazon. But get the book, take advantage of the insights in there, and let me know what you think. And now, back to this excellent episode. There's this point where I, I've been in a few situations where I never wanted to be to say this, but you get to that point where you actually you struggle to just say it, but I hate my job. That that's like giving up, or it's, to me, it was like this real awful confession yeah. to find myself in that position. That's where yeah. you were. That was that's why I resigned from the market research company, and that's why I moved into a new uh, into a new uh, industry, into a new company where I had shares the shares the, the into the advertising. But I resigned, yeah, because I was, I was, yeah, I couldn't stand it anymore. There was a lot of things that happened and I don't want to expand too much on that, but I was in that, in that, space. you know, very, very weird space of not feeling very well. But I was back to, I was back to Cambodia where I had my family, my kids. Uh, I was working for new for new uh, industry. It was super interesting because the business was small and there was a lot of things to be to to to, to do. But I was not I was not there. And I remember at that time I was playing a little bit of football. And I talk I was fed up too about football. <laughs> it was like everything at once. And I, I talked to this guy. It was it was I remember his name is David, and he used to be in the rugby team of the under 21 in England. So like the guy was fit, he was big. And he told me during lunch that he started CrossFit. I'm like, oh, CrossFit, what is that? And he said, well, it expands to me a little bit. And he said, well, you should, you should try because, you know, they just opened a box in town. And every Saturday morning, there is this free trial. Just go and try. So I went there immediately. And man, I was hooked like just like that you know when you have this feeling where you discover something and you're like wow this is what i was looking for all my life that was it i immediately felt in love with the spot and that spot has completely changed me 
again, because <laughs> I had several changes. But I was, you know, for example, physically, I'm soon 44. In three weeks, I will be 44. I have never been in such a shape. I'm every year. I'm in better. I'm, I'm fitter, which is which is amazing. But you know, today I'm 44. I'm like, whoa, what? I'm going to be 50. What is it that I can do? Yeah. You know. And that feeling of being fit and every day being able to use that fitness into your everyday life, being able to think better, being being able to sleep better. Um, you know, I don't want to lose that ever. So that has, you know, transformed me. I was fat when I started CrossFit. Now, I, I still have a little bit of fat, <laughs> but, you know, I less. So I had to change my diet. I had to change my diet too. And CrossFit has also brought me one thing, which is discipline. I've always, you know, I've always been someone quite disciplined until I until I was not anymore. So I, I, I've always been going like discipline, 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 and bam, down. You know. But CrossFit, I have to be disciplined because it is so demanding that. You know, if you want, if I want to be better, if I want to continue being able to do, uh, you know, uh, pull-ups and handstand push-ups and whatever crazy things we're doing, we're doing at CrossFit, I have to get that discipline of taking care of myself. But it is so rewarding. So I'm trying also to bring that to my coaching, to my with with my with my clients. We're talking about discipline. Yeah, and discipline talk, start discipline start with yourself. Let's talk about that. Now you return to Helsinki. You, obviously, you have a very successful business, coaching, training, teaching. How does that discipline? How do you work that in to an entrepreneur that's used to being in charge, doing, making all the decisions, and so they're going to be a little bit of resistance, mm-hmm. resistant to someone that's coming in and telling them what they should do. How do you do that, coach? <laughs> well, the first thing is that I can't work with people who don't want to change. When they come, when my clients uh, need my help, want my help, they want my help. They are they are in a phase where they're like, okay, there's something that you know I need to change or I need to improve, and they are ready to accept external help. So if here's, you, the thing, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm just going to interrupt. Right here is like the biggest secret to running a good business and picking good customers. Repeat that again. First of all, I don't. What did I say? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you don't work. You don't work I, with people. I don't work with people who don't want to change. I don't work there with people go. who don't there want to go. be coached. Yes. That's yes. That's huge. That's a great statement. Oh, but you you know I've. When I started my business as, a, as being a, become a business coach, I decided that I would pick my clients. And that has given me a, an amazing freedom because before I was never, I never did that really that exercise of going after the ideal clients to a certain point, but not to the point where I brought it uh, now with, with my business. And that gives, like I said, gives a lot, of, a lot of freedom. So I don't want to work with people who don't want to work with me. I don't want to, want, I don't want to, to work with people who are ask me at the end of the day, hey, can you give me a discount? Because no, that's not what I want to do anymore. I've done that for 20 years, you know? <laughs> and the first, the first thing with, with coaching is that you want, if you want to change, you need well, if you want to change, yeah, if you need to be ready to change, if you're ready to change or if you're ready to improve, if you're telling me, okay, I am going to commit maybe, you know, on a scale zero, hundred percent, I'm going to commit at like 80%. If there is an obstacle in front of me, I'll go through it with your help. That I would, that I would, uh, that is the first thing when, uh, for, for coaching. When it comes to discipline, it's a lot about building routines, I would say. And those routines, they are up to you. This is, I can't, I can't teach you or train you on, I, I can't tell you what a routine is, but you have to build your own routines. 
I don't know which routines will work for you. I know which routines work for me. For example, in the morning, I take my time. That's my routine, taking my time. I wake up, I go, you know, I, I make the coffee, I sit on the couch, sipping my coffee while watching the news, and I prepare myself for the day. That is my routine, and it takes like one and a half hours just because that's it. <laughs> but, you know, so other people, they, they, want to, they want to go into work like immediately. Uh, some people prefer to work uh, later on the on the evening, but what is important is to build routine, to to get into the discipline of having those habits until they become a routine, and you don't have to worry about them anymore because they are just part of who you are. The most difficult is to start that first step. It's easy. Deciding to change is easy. Just just a snap of fingers. Say okay. Today, I'm going to change. Right. But then you need to make that first step, that first physical step to start the change. What is it? Whatever, whatever it is. If you want to lose weight, maybe you can start by stopping, you know, reducing the number of soda you drink. But you have to physically do that. And then you realize that once you've done it one time, the second time is easier. And the third time is easier, but you need to keep on going and going and going and, you know, whipping yourself a little, a little bit, maybe getting a coach to, to, help, to help you be accountable for yourself until it becomes a routine. Why is that hard? Why is the first thing to start so hard? <laughs> because <laughs> that's... That's a great question. Have you seen these uh, comics where you see this, uh, this speaker talking to a crowd of people and the first question he asks is, who wants to change? And everybody raised the hand, you know? Uh, and then the second question is, okay, who is going to lead the change? And everybody's gone. <laughs> I think that's, that's it. It's because it's, it's change sometimes means suffering. And suffering is not, your brain is not made for that. Your brain doesn't want you to suffer. You know, it's, look at, look at how easy, for example, it is to blame someone and how difficult it is to give a compliment to someone. Mm-hmm. I find that very, very interesting. But and it's, I think it's the same. It's the same with 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 change. We're like, oh yeah, it's not that difficult to, you know, stop quitting cigarettes. But actually, it is very difficult to quit cigarettes because of what the cigarettes has in sight. I, I guess it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same. Kind of the same phenomenon here. So let's talk about the clients that you're are your best clients. Obviously, mm-hmm. they want to change. But describe who your perfect client is and, and how they transform after working with you. So I wouldn't say that change maybe is not the right, the right verb. It's more like they hit a plateau mm-hmm. and they're looking to get to the next uh, phase of growth, mm-hmm. but somehow they have difficulties to do it. So yeah, on the way, they may have to change some of the things, starting, starting with them. And they're looking for that. They're, they're at this point where yes. they've done an evaluation. They realize they can't take it or, or they could probably do better if they engage someone to help them think a little bit different or approach it different, correct? Yes, yes, yes. They're, they're achievers by nature. Yes, because they want they want the business to do good. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 it's it's a lot of people say it's my baby, but that's right. that's 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 what it is. They they yes. want to the business to do good, but they also want to make sure that they provide a job to the people they 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 they, they employ. Because most of these entrepreneurs uh, I work with, they care about others a lot. They care because they know that people are their best assets. They're not, they don't do that for the money. 
so that's another that's another uh, element. I work with entrepreneurs first, the, the business, the business owner. In terms of size, the, my dear client, they are around the I would say the one million threshold, like twenty or minus twenty or plus twenty percent around around it. And usually, like you said, they are ready to accept external help. And they spend a lot of their time stuck into operations. Like here. (laughs) So much so that they can't see anything anymore. So I come and I help them, you know, take a step back and look at more of an holistic view of their business. And we do a lot. We talk a lot about strategy, for example. And we talk a lot about how they need to stop being the main bottleneck of their business because that's what it comes down to. They are being the main bottleneck of their business. Mm-hmm. That's a common theme I hear often. Mm. Uh, I'm glad I don't have that problem running my mm. business, but I'm <laughs> I'm being facetious. But um, it's yeah, you know, I have a client. I have a client is in is in Vietnam. He's been running his companies fifty for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. That is the problem he has. <laughs> so it can hard. happen all the time. <laughs> but it's hard to admit your yeah. it's hard to admit your your baby is ugly. It is my baby. And isn't he cute or isn't she cute? But mm. uh, but you can see where where the bottleneck is. How do you mm. get someone to to get over that, get past it? Usually we talk we talk about strategy a lot. Uh, we start we start with always I love Simon Sinek. I I've read this book. Start with why. So that's what we do. We start with why. This is such an interesting exercise to do. Most of the time, they don't have the answer, or they have some sort of an answer, but that answer as they have they have diverted from their initial why. And their business has become something else. Yeah. That's a great point to help them revisit the original reason because maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they've got distracted. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. You see that in love mm. stories too, where the, the couple's kind of over each other and, and then someone comes along and helps them remember why, why they got <laughs> together. That's yeah. what you're doing. Yes, except I'm not a life coach. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yes, it's 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 very it's very similar. But at the same time, when you work on that, you know, if you if you uh, spend a bit of time of thinking about it, you may discover new things about about your business, which also will give them this extra boost because when they reach a point also where they are not motivated anymore. They've lost. They have lost the, the the passion. They have lost, you know, that that extra something that they used to have because they are facing that wall and they have difficulties to get past it. So in Helsinki or in that area of the world, are there a lot of connections with Southeast Asia? Not too much. <laughs> Finland, Finland is a is a small country. So I've only been here for less than a year, but what I see is that there's a lot of connection with China. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is true everywhere in, in Europe because China is the, that big, huge, gigantic country where all the supplies come from. But behind China, you have what we call ASEAN. Mm-hmm. ASEAN is 650 million people. It's a huge market too. There's a lot of um, factories also producing stuff, like in Vietnam, Indonesia, Myanmar, Cambodia. Uh, before before the, the the current situation, there was a lot of uh, garment factories there, and but they are hidden by this big country, China. So the the first step from Europe to Asia goes to China. So you're uniquely positioned because this event, here we are sitting in our um, uh, sheltered in place because of everyone's had to 
remain distant from everyone because of this event that originated in China. Mm-hmm. And a lot of countries have realized their supply chain is at risk. If China has another blip, we've had several events come out of China, the mm-hmm. SARS and the other. So it would make sense that many companies are starting to reconsider where they should relocate their supply chains. And you're perfectly positioned to help them with those new conversations with many other potential new relationships. Yes, that is that is one of my hopes, especially because also at the same time, there's more news about Vietnam. Positive news about how Vietnam has handled uh, the COVID-19 situation with uh, very few cases. I think no disease or very limited number of disease. And you see those news starting popping up on social media, on LinkedIn. So that also should attract more attention from, from, from Europe. Plus China also is becoming more and more expensive. So when you are a company, you need to look at your, at your, at your cost. And, you know, the other countries offer cheaper alternatives with, with high, sometimes, you know, high-skilled people. Because in Cambodia, for example, yes, people are not educated. Well, the education level is, is, is low, but they can be high-skilled. I mean, if you give them technical skills, it can be really, really, really good. You train them properly. And they can do that very, very well. What I think also is going to happen is that more and more companies are going to look, uh, companies, yes, are going to look at local in their own country production, coming back to the roots. I see that in Finland. There's, there's people are pushing a lot for local made uh, products, not only vegetables, but, you know, meat and all, all the other products like there's a, and there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, Finland is very known for all these uh, uh, innovative, innovative design products. So you, what's your temperature as far as the future of the economy in, in Finland? Sorry, can you say that again? What is your um, temperature? How do you feel mm-hmm. about the future of the economy in Finland? Hmm. It's an interesting place. I think from what I can see so far, and again, it's less than a year of experience, experience here, is that people are, are well off in general. The economy is doing, is doing very well, I think. Uh, and I don't think this is, I don't see that this is, this is, this is going to change. Yes, there will be some aftermath with the COVID-19 situation, but, you know, things will get back to normal, I believe, because the government also is helping a lot. At the same time, they have this huge startup um, industry, especially in the gaming gaming sector, many, many games that come from Finland. And so there is this willingness to move things forward. You know, all these young people with no money because they all start up with this passion to build something. It's everywhere I've seen, I've seen that. You can't, you can't miss it. So I think I'm in a good country. Uh, I think the economy will continue doing well. The thing is, although... Finland is very limited by the size of its population. It's five and a half million people. The density is very is very high. You know, you have like you have uh, I think something like one million people living in Helsinki, and then you may have like five or six big cities, and then it's scattered all around all around the country. So the market remains quite quite small. So what Finnish companies do is that this start looking at Nordic countries around around them. But step by step, they will, I think, go, they will have to go a little bit beyond. You know, they, they are very uh, Finnish, Finnish people. From what I see, they're very, uh, they, they keep it, things inside, inside them. Uh, they're very difficult to approach at the first, at the first time. Very cautious, 
you know, but once once they know you, they're very nice. They're very nice people. And I think in their businesses, they do they do a bit the same. You know, very cautious. So they will go to where they see where they have things they are familiar with, like the these Nordic areas. And then going beyond that is, is you know, it's a little bit cold over there. <laughs> but I, I think they will they will get there. Oh, excellent. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Lauren. And so if there are some, some folks that are listening to this and they're yes. wondering maybe what opportunities might be available for them, either in Finland or your connections with uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, how can they contact you? How should they reach out? Okay, so well, they can reach out on my website, www.lorenotin.com, and go to contact me. Otherwise, I'm also uh, reachable by email, contact at laurentnotin.com. And also have on my web- a website, I also have uh, my telephone number that is available if you want. You can WhatsApp me. Mm-hmm. And you can also listen to my podcast, which yeah. is called interviews where i talk to other entrepreneurs it's an episode every week for them for the moment awesome and they can find that on apple everywhere yes apple spotify uh tunings uh high heart radio and my website too all right excellent hey lauren i appreciate you and value and thank you for being on the roi online podcast well thank you very much for having me that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another fun episode of the ROI Online Podcast. For more, be sure to check out the show notes of this episode and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I can help direct you to the resources you're searching for. To learn more about how you can grow your business better, be sure to pick up your copy of my book, The Golden Toilet at surprise.goldentoilet.com. I'm Steve Brown, and we'll see you next week on another fun episode of the ROI Online Podcast.